Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Walden. My guest today is Vladislav Markin. Vladislav is multi-talented and multi-qualified. He was the best sommelier in Russia in 2013. In 2014, the best young sommelier in Russia. You're a graduate of the Inotria Wine School and you're a Via Vinitini International Ambassador and you are certified AIS. What does AIS stand for, just to remind everybody? Uh, this one is the um, Association de Sommelier International, so like International Sommelier Association. Mm-hmm. So you're you're based in Moscow right now. Yeah. Is that where you grew up? Uh, no, actually, actually, I'm from the region side. I'm from the quite small town, which is like about... Uh, half of the million uh, of occupation, and uh, it's called Penza. So uh, I grew up there. I finished the main university there, and then I moved to Moscow for the exactly for the wine school, for the Enotria, and then uh, stayed there. So why did you go from normal school to wine school? Why didn't you go to farm school or astronaut school? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it was uh, like, to make this story short, it was the, you know, it, it was a bit occasionally. Uh, I was working in the restaurant sphere for the, I think for the five years uh, at that moment. And um, I was, first I was the assistant of the waiter, then I was the waiter, then I was the manager. Then I became the bartender and uh, then I got the responsibility for the wines and I was absolutely uh, out of any knowledges about uh, about the wines. So for me, there was like, you know, like the French wines are the most prestigious for that moment and something like this. And so um, my manager told like, you need to go to the wine school. And uh, we picked the Enotria as, uh, as one of the main wine schools. And I think it's really like the best wine school in Russia that we have for, for the moment. And during the education there, I decided like to, to stay with the wine. I was absolutely excited about the differences, about the quantities, about the grape varieties, about the regions about the people who make these wonderful wines. And so I decided to link my life with the, with the wine. So you obviously you were, you were studying whilst having a full-time job or full-time jobs. Did you manage to visit any, any foreign regions? During the study time, uh, during during the studying time, no, uh, because it was uh, like half of the year, five days a week, about four or five hours a day for the um, tastings uh, theory. Unfortunately, not that much of the practical side, so like how to be a sommelier, uh, but mostly like theory. And so um, the visiting of the regions, uh, I was doing like by myself in in the next future. So after finishing and after graduating, like in uh, in the next half of the year, I was already in uh, in France. Okay, so you had li- li- you had no doubts at all. You knew what you wanted to do. You studied. Uh, you stuck with it, and uh, you, your path 
your career path was was forged at a very early age then yeah it it was really like uh, first i was thinking to to come back to the restaurant i was working in and uh, actually i talked with uh, with the manager and said like i'm really amazed with the wines i'm really amazed with the moscow and i want to stay here and he wasn't against this and so uh, everything got absolutely positive and so i stayed in moscow and after the wine school i got the uh, the, the job offer for a new restaurant and to be in charge of the wine and the wine portfolio for this restaurant. But do you, did you do any teaching? Once you obviously you were taught and you learnt and you passed your exams, and then um, did you become a teacher yourself? Yes, uh, yes, actually, uh, I think I think after an, a year, I was already doing some some classes in the in the in the same school actually in the in the Inotria. And they gave me first uh, just few um, uh, just f- few classes for the for the practical side, like how to be a sommelier, how to make the wine list, how to decant wines, how to serve wines, how to work with the uh, with the distribution companies, how to make the um, pricing for the wine list, and afterwards I had already some um, uh, theoretical uh, classes. For like for Italian wines, for French wines, and for the New World wines as well. You know, of all the things that you learn as a sommelier, what was the most um, rewarding aspect of it to you? This, this idea of learning and, and then teaching. Uh, learning and then teaching. You know, I think the the main thing and like the best thing in this um, in this job is uh, is people, because you always meet different uh, interesting. Um, multi you know multi-sided people and uh, to speak with the um, with the winemakers with the enologists with the other sommeliers with the clients in the restaurant it's just it's just amazing i, I really love to communicate uh, to communicate with the different people uh, that is why i think this um, this job is is absolutely suits for the for the people who love uh, to conversate who love to speak, who love to um, show uh, your skills, and it's, it's brilliant. What is what is the thing that pe- people studying like you've studied? Obviously, you did it very easily because you know you, you're obviously a very good student. For for normal human beings, what is the most difficult part? The part they find most hard to grasp when they're learning what you did regarding uh, being a sommelier? You know, I think the the, the most difficult side is, um, first of all, the lack of time, because usually you're lacking of time and like to, sometimes you need to select between um, studying and uh, working and seeing your parents, for example, or your friends and uh, doing some sports or doing some hobbies. So the, the timing is, 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 the, is the main uh, difficulty. Uh, the second thing, I, th- I think, is, um, is the opportunity to collect and to memorize. Because some people, they, uh, you know, they can read 10 times uh, one article and can't you know, focus on this and cannot fix the information which they just got. Some people, they just see the article and they remember everything till the last uh, letter. So I think that depends on the, on the memory and on your opportunities to memorize a huge amount of information about vintages, about producers, about regions, about hectares, about appellations and all this stuff. So 2015, 
you were studying the sommelier certification, AIS, and you were doing Vinitaly International Academy. Um, how did that go? How do you, and how do you stay focused on, on those similar but two different um, approaches? The, the ASI, uh, ASI was uh, a big challenge uh, because um, I first uh, went for the ASI certification and I failed because of some theoretical side. I passed the, the practice side, the serving, the blind tasting, but the theory was a bit weak for that moment because it was the first time I've seen the, the certification of the ASI and it was really tough. There were so many themes and so many regions and countries which you need to be well educated. So I wasn't expecting to, um, you know, to spot, for example, Indian vineyards or uh, Japanese vineyards in, the, in this certification course. So I wasn't prepared. The second time I went, it was much easier because you, um, you already understand uh, how to, how to man- manage everything, uh, how to be prepared for different questions and different sides and like how to prepare about not only wines, but also about spirits, about beer, about, about gastronomy. And so it was much easier. But anyway, it was really tough for me. I think Azi, it was the, the most toughest thing uh, I was passing during the like the last time. With a, with a Vinitele certification, it was a bit easier and it was much funnier because uh, Stevie Kim, she always loved to tell this story how I have passed the, uh, the certification for the Vinitele ambassador because she's telling actually the truth. Because <laughs> all the time she was seeing me in the, sitting in the bar, drinking the champagne and speaking with some other people or speaking with the bartender and not even learning. But uh, I don't know how I've just, I've just passed because anyway, I was studying for sure. It wasn't any joke and wasn't going to Verona just to hang around and drink champagne in the bar. But I don't know. I was, I was just taking all the information that the Ian Dagata and other professors were giving. So for me, Italian wine is like, is the most, it's just for me. I'm not saying that Italian wine is easy. Uh, for me, it's much easier to understand Italian wines than, for example, uh, French or German wines. Germany is, is, is disaster. So, you know, I, I really love Italy. Italy is one of my like most favorite countries. So I think it was much easier to learn what you love. Yeah, I suppose that, yeah, that, that does help, doesn't it? And um, especially with Ian, a lot of uh, jokes as well, some of which are, are non-repeatable. <laughs> so when you're um, learning about tasting, for example, um, which um, a lot of people do find really difficult, when they know what the, the bottle is, it's easy. When they don't know what's in the bottle because they can't see the label, they find it very difficult. What are your? Do you have any particular technique in approaching blind tasting or even open tasting? Um, with, uh, with the open tasting, it's, it's easier. Uh, for me, actually, there is only one thing I always mention for the, for the students and for the friends that I'm mostly trying to concentrate on the taste of the wine, on the palate. Uh, then for the for the aromas or for the color. So for me, it's the, the biggest influence in the wine open or blind is the taste so some people they're always focusing on the aromas and trying to pick the wine and blind for example for the classic aromas or for the individual aromas 
but I'm trying to focus on, on the taste, on the palate. For the blind, I always suggest to believe in yourself and uh, to remember your first idea about the wine. So you take a sip and you just, you know, you can have a like like a miracle blink in your head, like, oh, I think this is uh, Brunello di Montalcino, uh, vintage 2009. I was drinking this wine and I really think that it's the same bottle maybe just from another producer. So all the time I'm, you know, I'm having a part in the, in the blind tasting. I'm having this like miracle Im image of the wine or of the vintage or of the wine label of the exact wine. So I think you really need first just to remember any wine you have tasted, which tastes similar to this wine. And uh, usually some people, they are trying, you know, to, to, to take it more difficult. And they are trying to remember 10 wines which uh, taste or, or smell the same as, as this blind wine that you are having in a glass. I think you need to decrease this number and just to uh, think about one or two or three wines, but not about the dozen of wines which you have tasted and which look similar to this one. So basically in your idea, when you, when you smell a wine and then you taste it, you're thinking it could be, it, it could drop into any one of a number of groups, but these groups have three members in the maximum. Yeah. And you have to keep it easy. So, okay. So sort of key, key smells or key textures or key, even key colors, I guess, um, uh, I would imagine would be some of your criteria for, for what goes in that particular box, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because if you will remember, for sure, you will, you know, you will decrease the chance to pick the wine and to tell the truth because you can remember the wine from all around the globe. And uh, if you work, for example, for 10 years in the wine, you can, I don't know, it's, it's just uh, numerous uh, of the wines you have tasted during the 10 years of working as the sommelier or, or as the wine educator. So you will have plenty of the variants to pick the wine. But if you will decrease this and think about, of, I don't know, of about of three wines, of three particular different wines, and then just pick which one is uh, much closer to the wine that you are having now. So everything will be done. So just give us the names of some of the, um, some of the famous fine dining establishments you've been associated with over your career? Uh, you know, I was, I was mostly working in, the, in Moscow, so I, I was trying to go abroad somewhere to, you know, to have um, a short period or short practice somewhere. I was speaking with um, a few restaurants in London, but unfortunately it's too complicated for Russians to have a, a working visa to, um, uh, to England, so... Uh, we didn't made any any experience with this. Uh, in Moscow, I had the really good uh, job experience and uh, fine dining restaurants. You know, first I was working in the prestigious seafood restaurant, which called Lamare. They have uh, the fantastic selection of the fish and the seafood, and enormously great and enormously expensive wine list. So. One of the best wines I have tasted, it was during the working experience in the Lamare. Uh, then I was the head chef of the Kempinski Hotel in Moscow. And we had a, a brilliant chef from Austria. He was super talented and he was, again, focused on the seafood and fish. I think he was doing the best bisque soup I have ever tasted. It was just amazing. I 
all the time I remember this soup. It's just, it's just amazing. It's just brilliant. Uh, and then we, uh, I had the experience with a um, uh, chain of the restaurants called White Rabbit Family. And two of these restaurants, they are listed in the top 50 best restaurants of the world by Aquapana and San Pellegrino. It is the restaurant White Rabbit and the restaurant Selfie. And I was working in both of these restaurants. So if we would have a Michelin guide in, uh, in Russia, I think these two restaurants would definitely have maybe one or, or maybe even two stars by the Michelin because the chefs are super talented. They're focused on the local ingredients, uh, on the local products, and they create fantastic dishes uh, with the influence of the Russian cuisine as well, but also doing this in the European style. So uh, it was a great experience and they, they were super talented. Now we are just, we are friends, so still keep the contact. So what about Russian cuisine? You mentioned some of the Russian dishes, dishes there uh, matching with uh, Italian wine. Just give us a few of your favorite um, combinations. Uh, you know, we had um, uh, during this period working with the White Rabbit family, we had the restaurant, uh, it was called uh, Kutuzov's K5 or simply K5 by the address. And this was the restaurant of the emperor style of the Russian cuisine. So our chefs, they took the old books with the receipts, with the dishes, which were served in the emperor time in Russia. And they recreated these dishes and it was just stunning because simply uh, people think about the Russian cuisine, that it is really heavy, that, is, that it's borscht, that is, uh, you know, a lot of potatoes using for the sides or even as the main dish, that everything is... Uh, hardly boiled, everything is super fried, so something like similar to the Alsacian cuisine or as the German cuisine, but the emperor style of the Russian cuisine, it was super delicate and super elegant by the taste. They used a lot of the game, they used uh, a lot of the poultry, and everything was served like really closer to the French cuisine than for the, for the German uh, so in that restaurant, we had all the wines from all around the world. And uh, I really like how they have been doing the, I think we can call it some sort of crab uh, dumplings. And uh, the crab dumplings, they were served with, with, a cream, uh, with a cream sauce. And I had a fantastic bottle of Curte Franca by uh, Bella Vista. And uh, it was the fantastic combination because the same texture, the wine is quite oily, quite creamy. It is barrel aged, so it's the, the oak influence in the wine is quite pronounced. And the texture of the dish was just brilliant. So the combination was fantastic on, the, on, like, on this criteria of the creaminess of the butter. So it was just, just superb. Also, we had the deer. And they have been doing the like some sort of the filet mignon of the deer. And I had a bottle of Barolo of the vineyard Liste made by Borgogno. I think at that time I had the vintage 2009 and the combination was fantastic. There were some grilled vegetables on the side and, uh, you know, this like forest nuances, like autumn nuances and having this brilliant expression of the Barolo. It was just just amazing and super delicious. So if we come to, um, to visit Moscow, 
what are the um, hidden gems or lesser known areas or activities, places to visit besides the most obvious uh, well-known Moscow landmarks? By the way, have you been in Moscow already or, or not? Not yet, I'm afraid. Yeah, because uh, if you have been here, for example, five years ago, and uh, if you will come now, you wouldn't be able to recognize the Moscow because everything is changing so fast and uh, Moscow is becoming really, really open for the tourists and for the foreigners. And the city is, you know, it's really evolving and it's becoming uh, more suitable for the pedestrians, for walking around, for sightseeing, for having a glass on the summer terrace. And it's it's becoming really, really beautiful year to year. I moved to Moscow uh, like eight years ago and uh, I see the, the, the pictures which I've done like eight or seven years ago and I cannot recognize the same place now because really Moscow is, uh, there's some, some big changes coming over there. So there is so many activities, so many things to do and uh, if you would have to go to Moscow, Please don't pick like one or two days. You need to come for a week at least because there are so many parks, there are so many restaurants, there are so many hidden bars, there are so many theaters, museums, and some other activities. You know, you would have the super, super sharp agenda for a week, like to see just a tiny piece of Moscow because you can go one day for the um, 86th floor of the Moscow city is the area with the skyscrapers and uh, there are some restaurants which are located on the 84th or 85th floors so you can have the panorama for the Moscow and especially when it becomes uh, darker the lights turn on and it's just you know it's some sort of uh, Hong Kong some sort of uh, New York and it it looks really similar. So uh, many, many people we met uh, during the FIFA championship uh, on 2018, and they were just completely amazed about the conditions of uh, Moscow and how everything is look like there. So <laughs> some people, they still think that we are having bears on the streets, but we mostly have summer terraces and wine bars and beautiful ladies and uh, beautiful people and beautiful streets. So if you will have the opportunity to come, just take a week or maybe even a few weeks to see everything just because it's amazing. And the best time of year to visit? Uh, I think the best time is from uh, starting from May till uh, October. Because anyway, the, um, the winter is uh, unpredictable. Uh, it could be really cold and windy and wet. Uh, so the summer period is much better for this because the restaurants uh, are opening the summer terraces, which are beautiful, uh, which are having all these flowers. And, you know, it's just fancy and beautiful because the, the winter is, is crazy. It could be... Uh, completely snowy or it, it can be uh, no snow on the next year so it's it's like a random and what are the um russian wine growing regions do you have any and if so what are their names yes 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 we are having now the the russian wine and we are having the like quite dynamic uh, wine industry in russia because more and more wineries are opening year to year and particularly, we are having two sites where all the wine regions are located. 
So the first one is Crimea, which we, which was Russian side, then Ukrainian side, and it was like the historical place for the wine growing. Previously, it was the, the area for the making fortified wines like port wine, marsala, sherry, something like this. They were even using these names on the labels, port wine, marsala, Madeira. Uh, it was against the rules of the appellations, for sure. Uh, and the second area is uh, like the Krasnodar region. So it's south of Russia, near the Black Sea. And there are some places which are Kuban, Gelenjik, are located, Rostov-on-Don. And now we are having like the situation that all the some sort of appellations there just now are added. So we don't have strict appellation rules now. So like how to treat the vineyards, which grapes you can use on this area, what is the yield, uh, what is the minimum, what is the maximum yield, and everything like this. We are mostly focused on the like territory on, and on exact place uh, where the vineyard is located. So I think in a, in, a, in a short future, we will have some sort of appellation system uh, in Russia as well, because our gov- government is uh, is very... I think, very interested in uh, promoting the brand of uh, Russian wine. Quite rightly, because uh, internationally, um, you know, wine has become, uh, as you say, or as you suggested, a, an important sort of flagship for, for many, many countries, obviously Italy and France, etc., Germany. Uh, so why not Russia? Um, so when um, the restrictions on movement from COVID uh, stop um, and you can get to Italy, where will be your first visit? You can, only, you can only choose one. That's the that's the that's the fair question because I really hope that we would have the opportunity to to come to Italy in the in the October, and I would definitely go to Piemonte to have the Tartufo Bianco and to have the white truffle with a nice Barolo or with a nice Barbaresco because my favorite region in Italy is Piemonte. Uh, I really love this and I have so many connections with this region uh, and with the people from this region. I also like Alto Adige. I really love the wines from this, that region. I was uh, on Sicily in this January. I actually I actually spent the New Year Eve uh, near Etna. And so I think I would love to go again to the Sicily because I have fantastic memories of that period. But I think the, the first time I would go the, to Piemonte, for sure, because, you know, having so many friends who are linked with the wineries or with the restaurants, and I really love Piemonte. I really love the Piemontese cuisine. I really love the people of this region, and I would love to go there. Yeah, it's a very complex region to get to know. I think probably the Somme's love the, the kind of the, the, the degree of difficulty as well, of course, of, of the, the food and wine uh, pairings. But anyway, I want to thank you very much for, for coming on the Italian Wine Podcast today, telling us about your your career. You know, you literally knew nothing about wine, and you've become a very important person in the Russian wine scene, not just in your native country, but also abroad. Um, and uh, we wish you continued success, and we wish you, uh, Russia, also its um, goodwill for its uh, future wine region. Thank you so much, Monty. Thank you for for the invitation, and thank you for fantastic questions. I was really like with a with a great memories now, and like remembering some um, some trips and some uh, people I have met in Italy. 
<laughs> you know, just sometimes it's even cool to remember your uh, your background <laughs> and your working experience and um, all these interesting things of the um, being sommelier in Russia or sometimes not even in Russia. So thank you so much for the for the invitation. Yeah, no problem. I hope to see you. To see you. Hope to see you uh, in uh, Verona sometime, if not in Moscow. I hope you you would have an opportunity to come to Moscow, and uh, I will definitely show you this fantastic city with a super huge amount of opportunities and places to go. Look forward to it, Vladislav. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Thank you so much. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.